0: Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, November the 6th, in the year of our Lord 2023. Wow, what happened to September and October? And we're getting close to the end of the church year. So we're talking about Judgment Day. I'm going to ask you a question What is your favorite Bible verse? Now, when you think about that, I can tell you something about your favorite Bible verse. If you are a Christian, your favorite Bible verse will be a promise from God. For many it's, for God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes will be saved. Or the hundreds of other passages in the Bible that give promises. I, I don't know anybody whose favorite Bible verse is, thou shalt not kill, or thou shalt not steal, or something along that line. No, it's always a part of the gospel. And it doesn't matter if you're Lutheran or not, because if you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit has moved you to believe Bible verses that have gracious promises because they are a real comfort for you. So a lot of times when we think of God, we think of the comforting God. He's really a wonderful God that we have. For this next Sunday, which is the 24th Sunday, after Pentecost, November the 12th, the liturgy contains at the beginning what's called an introit, meaning entrance. After our confession of sins, many congregations will say this introit. And I want to share you the 24th Sunday after Pentecost introit because it really sounds a lot like you hope God is. It begins with Psalm 84. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Now, isn't that an interesting beginning? That we also have a home and a nest, and it's the altar of the Lord, particularly in worship. It continues How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! Behold, our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. So remember at the Reformation, we refer to God as a mighty fortress. Well, he's also our shield. There are a lot of metaphors in the scripture about Jesus. He's our shepherd, even though he's also our lamb and he looks on the face of your anointed. You were anointed to be a child of God when you were baptized with the Holy Sacrament of Baptism or came to faith in reading the Bible or hearing a missionary. Now, what does that mean? Well, it continues. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. That's the Christian attitude. That what are the courts of God? It's his holy Christian church. And we would rather be a doorkeeper at his house than dwell in the tents of wickedness. That also, that attitude, is given to us by the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why do we say that? The text goes on. For the Lord God is a... Sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. So he not only is the shield that's talked about, he's also the bright sun. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Now to walk uprightly. Does not mean that you stop from sinning. It means that when you sin, you repent of that sin. You have grief over what you have done to Jesus, and that is walking uprightly. You ask forgiveness. O Lord of hosts. And then this particular psalm says, Blessed is the one who what? It doesn't say blessed is the one who obeys you. It says blessed is the one who trusts in you. Now, this is the Old Testament. This shows a clear distinction between law and gospel. We are not saved by what we do we're saved instead by what we believe. Now, that's the image of God that most Christians have. But there's another face of God that's found in the Old Testament reading for this coming Sunday from Amos chapter 5. And it's dealing with people who are looking forward to the day of judgment because they think that on that day of judgment they will be going to heaven because of their works. And so they desire the day of the Lord. But God has something to say to them who do not have the faith in Jesus Christ. They may worship like the prophets of Baal did. They may think they believe in God, but they don't. And verse 18 begins of Amos chapter 5. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? Because it is darkness and not light. Now, here God is talking about the last day, which is darkness for unbelievers. So why are unbelievers desiring to have the day of the Lord? because they think that they're going to be rewarded. They think that their works will get them to heaven. They're like the Pharisees who said, well, I'm better than that Jewish guy who's collecting taxes for the Romans. I fast. I give a 10th of my wages. You see, they're talking about what they do as though that's the reason they're going to be saved. But God says the day of the Lord for them is darkness and not light. Now, as God always does, he tries to give some kind of metaphor or simile as to what the day of the Lord for unbelievers is going to be like. He's already said it is darkness. But verse 19. It is as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall. And a serpent bit him. Wow. So, people think when they're fleeing from a lion, they're going to be safe. But then they run into a vicious bear. Or they get into their house, and they lean against a wall, and a servant, serpent, bites him. You see, is not for these people the day of the Lord darkness and not light, and gloom with no brightness in it. That's the description of hell. And God is talking about that because he's warning people. But these people, they even have worship services. You can go around the country To different churches that have worship services these days, and many of them are ridiculous. They are praising the people for doing good works. They're encouraging him to do even more good works in order that God will be satisfied with them and reward them with heaven. That is false. Teaching. So, what does God say about their worship services? I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Now, how do we explain that in light of the fact that God has commanded under the ceremonial laws to give such offerings? Well, such offerings are to be given with the recognition that they represent the Savior who is to come to take away the sins of the world. Remember how John the Baptizer describes Jesus? Behold, the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. And that was prefigured in the Passover when the Israelites, they would kill a lamb or a goat and put its blood over the doorway. And that night, the angel of death would pass over their house if he saw the blood. But if there was no blood on many of the houses of the Egyptians, the oldest male would be put to death whether human or animal and remember that was even Potiphar's son I'm sorry Pharaoh's son he died on that night and it moved Pharaoh to decide to let the Israelites go until he changed his mind and chased after them and we know what happened to them as they drowned in the Red Sea, attempting to cross it. Be that as it may, the Egyptians and many other religions that are made up by man, they have solemn assemblies, but they're not preaching Christ in him crucified. They're preaching about you, that There's nothing you can't do. And therefore, those sermons are horrible. And any offerings you give are not accepted by God. Because when you give an offering, he looks at your motivation. That can even happen in a Christian church where a pastor may give the signal that the more money you give to the church, the greater will be your blessing. Or the more that you pray to God, even if it's a false God, the better your day will be. Those are all false teachings. It just doesn't work. You need to pray to the true God And you don't know the true God unless the Holy Spirit has motivated you with proper faith. And faith means you believe the promises. In fact, God not only will not accept offerings from such people, verse 23 says, and this is Amos 5, Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. The harp was an instrument they played. I will not listen. That's what God is saying. But is there any hope, therefore, for the unbelievers? Well, the same hope for the unbelievers is also for the believers. And that's the ending of our reading from Amos 5. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Now, what does that mean? How can justice roll down? and righteousness be an ever-flowing stream. Because of its source, true justice, namely the payment for your sins, rolls down from heaven itself because Jesus Christ has affixed himself to the cross and paid for your sins. Does he not himself say that on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Referring to unbelievers who think they are worshiping God, but are not. Even though they have solemn assemblies. So, what happens? those who are unbelievers will be going to hell. And this is a description of hell. So if you're looking forward to the last day of judgment to be rewarded, then you are mistaken because you will not be rewarded except with the gift of the forgiveness of sins. The epistle also includes information for the Christians now. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers. That's how Paul begins this letter in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. He refers to the people as brothers. How are they brothers to Paul? Because Jesus is his brother, and these people, through faith, have become children of God, brothers of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep. Now, hear the word asleep is referring to those who have died and been buried or whatever has happened to their body. And Paul is saying, I don't want you to be uninformed so that you don't grieve as others. Now, how can you not grieve if a loved one has died? You do not grieve. Because God has given you hope. It's a sure hope. It's an assurance of hope. And what is that hope? Verse 14 of First Thessalonians 4. For since we believe, here again, notice faith, not works, since we believe, that Jesus died and rose again. Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. You see, there is no evidence that we have, except the Bible itself, that God died and that he rose again from the dead. You can't prove that to an unbeliever. The only evidence that Christianity has that people can understand is original sin. There's nobody in the world who is not a sinner. You can't find anyone who is innocent from birth. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so what saves is not our obedience, but those who believe that Jesus, the God-man, died and he rose again. And therefore, through Jesus... God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Now, the spirits of those who have fallen asleep already are in heaven, because that's what happens to the spirit at the moment of your temporal death. Your spirit is in heaven, but not your body. God is talking about that he's gonna bring your body into heaven to be rejoined with your spirit. Paul says, for this we declare to you, how? By a word from the Lord. Paul didn't make this up. He got this new information from the Lord that we who are alive who are left until the coming of the lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep in other words if you're still alive on earth living not buried and judgment day comes you will not be going to heaven before the bodies of the believers buried in the ground, go to heaven. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. Boy, is that going to be loud. And notice, he's coming with a cry of command. What is he going to command? He's going to command what he did on the days of creation to bring to life the bodies of Adam and Eve. He will take from the ground or wherever the person died, every body. And they will also be going to heaven with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. Now, the dead in Christ will rise first. In other words, before you and I go to heaven, the bodies of the dead will be re-put together, and rise from the dead. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. In other words, we go together into the air, both those who are still living and those whose bodies are dead. And we will now have heavenly bodies. Elsewhere, it says we will be like Jesus. His resurrected body had qualities. That his human body did not have. He was able to go through doors and through walls and knew the Word of God. Therefore, why is Paul saying all this? It ends with one very good statement. Therefore, Encourage one another with these words. That's the purpose of Christian theology, to give you courage and assurance of your hope of going to heaven. That's why Jesus is your Redeemer, your Savior, your Counselor, and your God. Join us tomorrow for looking at a hymn about this. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your checkout to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132 or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962.